Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where we introduce you to interesting people and their inspiring stories. From Grace professors, current students, and distinguished alumni, to special guests and speakers on our campus, you can meet new people and hear how they are impacting the world around them. This podcast is recorded and produced at Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Carrie Oberbrunner. Carrie is a two-time graduate of Grace College and Seminary. He graduated with a BS in Biblical Studies and also received his MDiv. He is a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author of 12-plus books in multiple genres, ranging from business to fiction to technology to poetry. Yeah. He speaks internationally on a variety of topics, including leadership, personal growth, human performance, blockchain technology, and entrepreneurship. In addition to authoring 12 books, Oberbrunner serves as CEO of Igniting Souls and Blockchain Life. Carrie, thanks for being with us today. I have had such a blast on campus the last 24 hours, meeting with a ton of people, old friends, old professors. This is a, this is a great place. We have we have put you everywhere. Like, hey, talk about blockchain. Hey, talk <laughs> about you know Jesus. Hey, talk about your story. We, we've right. had you do it all. It's all good, man. So let's go back to um, you know where did you grow up, and then how did Grace College even enter your orbit? Yeah. So I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin an ACSI school, Heritage Christian, and I did not have aspirations for college. I was not ambitious back in the day, which is weird because now I am, but <laughs> but I just was going to graduate. And my friends were going to really big places like West Point and all this stuff, and they're like, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to New Tribes Bible Institute believe it or not. And so why? Because my older sister went there and I thought, hey, you can't go wrong with scripture. So I'm going to learn the Bible. And I learned the Bible, seriously thought about missions, went to Papua New Guinea during a summer semester. And I'm telling you, Drew, back there, they really pushed you back then to say, unless you're doing overseas foreign missionary work, you're not doing the right thing. Mm. Now it's shifted and I actually love the you you would know this um the director now is an is a Grace alumni. Mm, yeah. A- Andy Royer yes. is yep. doing great things and Sarah and they've really brought a, a Grace balance to that school. But back then man, I struggled with okay, fine, I guess I got to be a pastor, you know? as if it was a step down. So anyway, I came to Grace if in chapel I shared this because I was dating a young woman of for 3 years and she was going to Grace. I actually tried to get into Moody and Grace. Moody was just whatever. They they didn't accept me. Who knows why? I don't know why. But Grace and specifically Dave Plaster, Dr. Dave Plaster, yeah. he looked at my transcripts and said, look, you've done a lot of Bible. We could transfer this, 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 and this, and you can start as a junior. So wow. I pretty much came to Grace to do my gen ed. And then very soon into that, Dave Plaster said, you know, 
I heard you wanted to go to this uh, Alliance Theological Seminary because that's where I went to church, CMA. He said, why don't, you, why don't you stick around at Grace Seminary? And sure enough, man, he started recruiting me. <laughs> and then I said, well, I'll be an Air Force chaplain with, with Grace Brethren. Yeah. And then I had asthma, and they wouldn't let me in, and we tried a ton of things to get in, but they just wouldn't let me. So I tried Army, tried Navy, rejected, rejected, and then became a pastor and— I'll let you say whatever you're going to say. Yeah. So when you look back at your time at Grace, you talk some about this in chapel too. Um, you know, what were some of the the highlights from you? What were some of the things you learned? What were yeah. some of the difficulties you went through? I'll tell you what. I just showed you a text of a young lady who said, should I go to Grace? And I just blew it up and shot her a whole video of why she should come because I'm such a fan of Grace, whether it's Roger Pugh, Jack Rance, Wayne Hanna, Larry Chamberlain. I could go through the list of everybody and just say that it was the people. It was absolutely the faculty and the people. Skip Forbes, Paulette Sauters, like Tom Edgington, Tammy Schultz. I mean, I can remember these people as if it was yesterday because I was at such a raw and teachable and impressionable spot. And yeah, in chapel I shared, hey, I was overcoming self-injury and depression. And there was a, it was a wild time, man. You know, it was a time where on the outside, everything looked really great, but on the inside I was going through like the dark night of the soul. Hmm. But the grace faculty and even student body, my phone's been blowing up of old grace alumni. <laughs> that said, oh, you showed my picture in, in chapel. But, you know, I met with Tim Wright and Condos and Fuqua yesterday. And, I mean, we picked up, even though I haven't seen them in 15 years. And that's how awesome Grace is, not to mention the academics, but it was really the people. That's that's And that's what it is, right? It's a Christ-centered community. Yes. And and we want to uh, we want to be that. We want to be a community of learners. From students to faculty to staff, so you uh, so after Grace, you go into the the pastorate. Yes, um, and start writing books. I was going right to say, when away. did you start writing? Like, when did the book writing begin? I'll tell you what, man. I was um, I got over at Grace Powell, and about one year in, I started to get bored already. Now, nothing wrong with Grace Powell, loving to death. It's a great church, but I started to say like, oh man, this is. Not too easy, but you know, I just I got to keep my mind going. So I started. I think you're always that way, right? I, I mean, really yeah, am. Yeah, there's not there's not much really slowing am. you down. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. It's not a grace thing, not a grace pal thing. So I started pursuing my my doctorate, my 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 demon doctor ministry. I started writing books with Relevant Magazine back in the day, and just always learning. I I think it was Skip Forbes really who helped me think you know like that's a big task mm. very few people are taught how to think critically so my books became a reflection of hey i struggle with this how to be in the world but not of the world so i'm going to write about it i struggle with discipleship so i'm going to write about it like all my things that i wrote on were topics that i truly struggled with and as you might one day write a book or whoever's listening to this one day might write a book you can write a book with three different voices sage 
Sherpa or struggler. Uh. Sage is, I've been there, I've done it, I've arrived, I'm on the mountain, sit at my feet, and I'll teach you. That's a sage. And there's books like that, Tony Robbins, Oprah, whatever. Then there's Sherpa. Sherpa is, hey, I struggled, I found a way up the mountain, but I'm coming back down to help you, and together we'll climb up. And that's Sherpa, that's how I write. And then there's Struggler, which is like a blue-like jazz, where it's, hey, there's a big problem, I don't know the answer, but I'm willing to at least admit that there's a problem. And we may figure it out, we may not. Hmm. And those are kind of the three styles of writing. And yeah, my Sherpa books kind of started going, and then as I shared in chapel, I wrote very safe books, and then God kind of knocked on my heart and said, I want you to tell the, the scary story. And that was the story of depression and self-injury. And that's really the book that I wrote that then opened the door to the entrepreneur world. Hmm. So uh, when in there did you decide, okay, I'm gonna, gonna jump from being a writer to someone who helps other writers? Yeah. The first few people uh, who came to me said, hey, how are you writing a book and turning it into all these streams of income? And at first, Drew, because I'm not business-minded, like I had never taken a business class, I, I, I just, my dad was a pastor, my parents are nonprofit, money was kind of seen as evil, whether that's right or wrong, you know, it's just like, stay poor, God loves poor people. I mean, that's kind of how you grow up in, in the Midwest, at least I did. So I didn't understand that um, there was a business model there. When, when someone asks you how to do something, they A, recognize there's a need, two, they recognize that you have competency, and, and three, if you're wise enough to see that, you can actually monetize it. But I didn't see it. At first people said, how do you how do, you do these books and turn them into businesses? And I just said, ah, it's complicated. So it wasn't until I started meeting with John Maxwell, and that's some of your past, mm. where here was an example of a former pastor who leveraged his content to have a marketplace ministry. And he was really one of the first people that I saw who successfully did that. And so I just started learning from him and soaking it all in. Mm. And so it was about 2014 before I started my publishing company. Because honestly, no, nothing against traditional publishers, but I had five of them, and I could market better than them. Huh. And, you know, that's not a brag. That's just saying, like, most publishers do not know how to market. So my next books I published. And, and then I started a publishing company, and then I began to help other people, and it really turned into over a thousand authors that we published. Mm. And now today, I kind of help more of the influencers publish their books. So what, uh, you know, if somebody out there was to say, I'm, I'm kind of interested in publishing, I have an idea, or yeah. um, what would you say are some of those first few steps of, you know, considering a career in writing? Yeah. Or so, not even a career, just I want to write a book. I want to write a book, you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. So what I would say, couple quick tips. Get this is for nonfiction. Get a title that hooks and a subtitle that explains the benefits. Really quick example: Tim Ferriss, four-hour work week. 
everyone's interested. Ooh, what's about that? Then it goes into three verbs, escape the nine to five, live anywhere, join the new rich. Verb, verb, verb. So that is literally somebody saying, if I should invest time and energy into this book, what am I going to get? Oh, I'm going to escape the nine to five. I'm going to learn how to live anywhere. I'm going to join the new rich. That's a successful title. And Rick subtitle. and I just want to know how we can work only from nine to five. That's what we're trying to figure <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> that's right. I hear you. I hear you. So that's the title, subtitle. And then nonfiction book is what problem are you solving? Uh. And I tell people that a book, a nonfiction book, really easy strategy is to break it into three parts. Part one, problem. You don't want to give somebody a solution before you tell them the problem because it's insulting. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you need chemo. And you're like, what the heck? You didn't even talk to me. Like you're going to be highly offended that they offered you a solution because they didn't tell you that there's a cancer growing in your body first. So you want to use part one to talk about the problem. Part two is the solution. And then part three is the next steps. And the next step should really be your business model. So I don't want to publish books that are business cards. I find that insulting because nobody ever said, hey, this business card changed my life, right? We don't say, hey, Drew's going to speak to us. He's the author of this business card. Mm -hmm. So books are powerful. They're mysterious. We say Michael Jordan wrote the book on basketball. It's a credibility piece. It's an authority piece, but you need to build products and services around that. Mm. So you, uh, you also are a bit of a futurist. Yes. Which is one of the things I've enjoyed trying to pick your brain on a little bit is <laughs> right. you try to understand, in our context, education and what does it mean to deliver a Christ-centered education and yes. in, in what the world will look like in the future. And so your latest book um, is Blockchain Life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just tell us a little bit about, you know, what got you interested and, and what are you thinking about when you... Uh, consider technology and the future of technology, and what does that mean for the gospel? Yeah. So I think one of my first books, The Fine Line, I really had to go through that book first because I was desperately scared to get involved in the world. I thought if I get close to the world, I'll be a conformist. And so in that book, I talk about separatists, those who retreat from the world, conformists, those who become like the world, and transformists, those who transform the world. And so I had to go through that book first a long time ago, about 2004-ish. And then once I realized that, you know what, technology is a tool, and we can use that tool to advance the gospel, then I got really excited. There's always been resistance to technology. Mm -hmm. It used to be seen as unchristian to put a lightning rod on your barn. Now think about that. What in the world? Because if God wanted to hit your barn with lightning, you should let him, right? I mean, we've always had technology be debated. And are there dangers with today's technology? Absolutely. I kind of maybe shook up your team a little bit today by talking about like really scary stuff that is, hey, we're living in a world where you can strap on VR goggles and a haptic suit and mimic sexual experiences in the metaverse. Talk about gender issues. Talk about infidelity issues. I mean, it's 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 crazy what's happening. Um, not to mention transhumanism, that is essentially humans and machines integrating to accomplish 
things. And people think, oh, that's Terminator. That's so far out there. It's actually happening now. Uh, there are people getting, it sounds crazy, but there's getting people getting compasses, you know, where they can now sense north, south, east, west, open doors, even just uh, prosthetic limbs, where now it's what's called BCI, brain-computer interface, where you control the parts with your mind. We're here, and Neuralink by Elon Musk. Like, we're already here, and so now the question is, what happens when that prosthetic limb, as I mentioned in your presidential council today, what happens when that allows you to run a one-minute mile and squat 2,000 pounds? Suddenly we now say, whoa, Maybe the guy's leg who got blown off by a, a, a landmine isn't the only one who should qualify for that prosthetic limb. Maybe we should enhance our legs. So what was ear piercing to my generation, like, whoa, ear piercing, that's kind of today. And yet I think our kids' generation is going to look at this and say, Psh, absolutely. Why wouldn't I use a machine? I mean, pacemakers, you know, we have all kinds of medical devices that are accepted, but what happens when we can actually choose to put machines in our bodies and what makes us no longer in the image of God? So these are the ethical questions that I'm very excited about exploring and what are those lines? Hmm. Uh, and so uh, what do you see as a you know, outlet for the gospel? Which yeah. Is a little bit like, you know, technology being an, a vehicle. Yeah. Um, for, you know, what is true and right and lovely and pure, right. which is uh, the love of God displayed through Jesus Christ's, you know, yeah. love. H- how, do we, how, do we, how do we get that out um, via next generation technology? I love this guy's book, Humans 2.0. His name is Foz. And he really says that the resurrection is essentially the God-ordained form of transhumanism. Like, in other words, transhumanism is a, is a true desire, but it's been, like all things, uh, marred and abused. But to say that God became man in the form of Jesus Christ and can allow us perfection in him to achieve a redeemed humanity where we essentially can be reunited with God, that's some actually good news of transhumanism in the right way. But unfortunately, what you're seeing in a lot of transhumanism is a very anti-God. Hey, we don't need God. Uh, Let's become our own God. I, I mentioned about Alcor and how we're literally seeing people freeze their bodies and brains so that technology can catch up. And they call that uh, the suspension. So they, they say we're not that de- we're not dead. We're suspended. And there's a term called the singularity, which is when AI becomes as smart as humans, and it's very close. And they believe, like again, if you're if you're a humanist, you're seeing all these things as like, oh, that's that's utopia. That's resurrection and it's factoring Jesus out of it. So what I think, what I get excited about is saying, I'm going to learn the language because there is a lot of transhumanists who think that Christians are the opposition, that conservative is the opposition. So you kind of have this fight between 
biblical Christianity and technology, mm. but the people like this Foz guy, Humans 2.0, or some of my work, I want to say, how can we redeem the technology? An example, Life Church, Craig Rochelle. What happens December of last year? I'm not talking like two months ago, three months ago. I'm talking like 15, 18 months ago. He said, we're going to put a church in the metaverse. So we are literally going to be the first church in the metaverse. And it sounds crazy, but there are people's avatars, because that's how you show up in the metaverse, getting saved. There's people's avatars getting baptized. Like, is that is that real? Is that legit? Can you? And I, uh, these are the things I pose to young students. And they're like, well, I, I don't know. And I say, well, can you get saved on Zoom? And they're like, yeah. Okay, so now you can get saved on Zoom, which is the internet. But what happens when you show up as an avatar? Like, these are the questions that the next generation mm. really has to answer. It's it's not what we grew up with. Mm. It's complex, but for me at least, it uh, it makes the gospel and the the truth of the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel more real. <laughs> yeah, it's like if I want to base my life on something, yes. I am so thankful for the authoritative word of God and truth, and um, and and, and Jesus because it it's real. It's yeah. something I can actually yeah. uh, base my whole existence upon. Yeah. As these crazy questions that I can't even quite wrap my mind around yet yeah. hit us from all sides. I think Romans eight is, is amazing. Because I I've struggled with this stuff I've I've personally struggled with this but it says neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons like nothing shall separate us from the love of God neither neither the metaverse <laughs> right so I think that this is a new mission field I yeah. really believe it and I think that there's some people locally even that are forming like gamer uh, events where the gospel shared mm. and. It's exciting. I think that Paul, Mars Hill, uh, Athens, I think this is the new thing. And they'll always be the next new thing. But I think that the worst thing the church can do is basically say, yeah, we're just not going to go in that direction and even enter the conversation. Wow. I think that's not good. Well, Carrie, you, uh, you've got a lot of interesting things to, <laughs> to talk about. And to say, where, if people wanted to, to learn more or find your books or find you, what's yeah. the best way to connect and find find you? Sure. So my personal website is com, And then my businesses are ignitingsouls.com, where we essentially publish and promote people's books and turn them into 18 streams of income. And then the blockchainlife.io is where we are really using blockchain technology to protect intellectual property. And that's truly where a lot of the assets are in the next world is to say that we're all creators in this mm. new economy and we're all creating IP. Grace is creating IP. So how do you protect that through smart contracts and NFTs? And we'll get into that someday. <laughs> well, thank you, Carrie, for spending some time with us today with our students, with our campus, and uh, sharing your expertise and insights and story. Thanks for your leadership. And I hear you're doing amazing things and keep it up. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Grace podcast today. We appreciate Rick putting together our podcast as a producer. And we ask that you would rate, like, share this wherever you're from. Leave us a comment. 
and we hope you live your best grace story today.